Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to Under the Helmet. Look at the long-term player value in fantasy football. I'm Chad Parsons. Got Katie Flower here officially with the NFL playoffs in full swing. We are in off-season mode, and that means we're going to be monitoring teams with their playoff run. Maybe there's going to be an impactful injury going into NFL free agency or draft time, but it's dynasty team building time. And uh, two, three weeks ago, we started our series look at each skill position, sort of a where were we this season? Where are we going? Uh, Maybe a little startup talk and just an overall landscape of the positions talk. And Katie, before we do that with running back, I want to start off with with a macro question because it's dynasty startup season. And is there a format? We play in a a wide variety of formats, the two of us combined, apart. And is there a format? Is there a type of league, maybe a a structure for the lineups or how the postseason is, is wired that you either really like? And if you were making leagues, you would want all of them going forward to have a certain element in it? Or is there something you've yet to try that is still on your bucket list? I can't think of anything that's still on my radar or my bucket list, but I definitely have a preference for Debbie leagues, more specifically deep Debbie leagues that are not best ball where you actually have to be held accountable to start a lineup. And uh, that also holds you more accountable for the players that you select. So your skill set of choosing Debbie players really shines in that format. I like super flex tight start to tight end. I've really gotten hooked on the start to tight end. Just makes it uh, choose your own adventure. You really have to focus on those positions early in the startup because Debbie is hard to hit quarterbacks and tight ends. And scoring can only do so much, right? I mean, you can elevate to the moon with point per target and point per reception at tight end, but at some point, you're still starting 12 or 14 or 16 across the league. So that's one of the, the biggest things. I was going to ask you, do you think, because we've talked about this with our, our our leagues we have together and just Devi in general on some of our, our Devi shows across the, across the calendar, is do you find that there's definitely a way to exploit the Devi marketplace in terms of flash players or rising players on the college landscape that could even be incoming freshmen can get overcooked based on their profile. I mean, it works just like NFL and rookies and any any asset type, but I'm finding myself finding that you can definitely exploit the market as a seller of Devi assets because there's a huge, not a huge, but there's a cross-section of the league just like that want rookie picks of a traditional league that they think Debbie players and Debbie picks in the future is the only way to rebuild or get better. And they're willing to overpay for that in some occasions. It's exploitation on steroids. 
because you have bigger mood swings. People give up on Debbie players if they're not going to get a starting position or if they're in the transfer portal and they're going to a team that they don't deem as somebody that they can really shine uh, or, or for whatever reason, maybe they're on a depth chart that's vague. And so there's a lot of buy opportunities as well as sell. You can sell on hype, especially guys that are still a couple years away and get players that can help you now. So there is a distinct strategy and a lot of mood swings with the, <laughs> with the way that other players are looking at uh, the way that other owners are looking at players uh, changes yeah, I love how I love how you said that where the, the mood swings because it can be one big game, you know, and then all of a sudden a season ending injury and they're off the market. And I always think about these freshmen and we talk about it with freshman quarterbacks, but it could be any position where they go to a depth chart and they basically don't play much. And it doesn't mean they're not good. It means that they might be on one of the most packed, you know, Alabama running backs is a common one. Maybe it's Ohio State wide receivers, you know, for a moment in time, Clemson wide receivers. You might be in these situations that you're just not going to play a whole lot. And it really and and I think now with the transfer portal, you just mentioned about the mood swings. It's going to get even more intense. Now you're talking about, oh, so and so goes to a different team and they're going to be the clear-cut starter and look at this, it's going to be a great situation. They're putting together this all-star squad and all these things are uh, are are relatively fickle until we start getting production, we start seeing them produce to a meaningful level in college. And many times that's not until year 2, if not year 3. So you have to be really careful about that. And I would, I would uh, repeat what you just said, which is, I think it's more extreme than, than NFL rookies and younger players in, in the NFL dynasty circle. I think Debbie swings far more rapidly from, you know, DJ Unga lately. It's like, ah, you know, he's, he's worth everything. And now you could get him for a fraction of a penny because a lot of people have bailed on him and we'll see, we'll see. But the point is it's a, uh, a stark drop, like a penny stock. Of, of what he previously was. Um, I wanted to say one thing that, again, this might be a dumb idea, might be a great idea. We'll never know until someone tries it. But the one thing that I'm curious to see how it would play out is my AFC NFC conference dynasty idea that you have a team in both conferences. Uh, and I haven't figured out, I think because it's only 16 NFL teams per conference, I think maybe an eight, nine, 10 team, you know, kind of variety for each conference. Uh, and it would just be one quarterback, um, but uh, but have it so that you have an NFC squad, you have an AFC squad. They're completely separate. But but the one thing I thought of why you have one team in each is that, uh, let's say Odell Beckham, he's on the Browns. Okay, he's on your AFC squad. Well, if he goes over to the, the Rams, he actually moves over to your NFC squad. So you so you wouldn't lose a player if they, they change conferences or something like that. And I think it's probably a pie in the sky because management is going to be horrific in terms of as a commissioner, what do you do with a player that's a true NFL free agent? Can he go to either side? I guess the answer would be yes, but then you might lose him to your other team. And then what happens if you know your quarterback gets, you know, what if uh, Russell Wilson goes to an AFC team and now that was your only quarterback? So it would help one team but hurt the other. I think there's a lot of complexities to it, but I just fantasy baseball has done AL and NL teams since the beginning of time. Like I think they actually started fantasy baseball by just doing a certain, uh, you know, league, not not the entire landscape of Major League Baseball. NFL is I've never once seen a league or heard about a league doing that, 
And I think it's at least worth a try. I'm not saying I'm going to do it this year, uh, but it's just, it's been on my bucket list for about one to two years now. No, that sounds really cool. Um, and you know me, I really like strategy. That's one of the biggest things I like about fantasy football in general. The more strategic the bylaws, the rules are, the different uh Well, it's a different player to- pool. I mean, yeah. you're talking about, I, I haven't looked into the certain positions, but I mean, you might have certain positions that are super strong. You know, maybe it's the AFC quarterbacks, you know, look a lot stronger. And then NFC, if you have three or four guys, there might be a huge drop-off or a bigger drop-off uh, you know, and so that just will depend. And you know, premium tight ends become a lot more premium when you got a ten-team league and there's only one or two good ones in a conference. Let's say so. Uh, yeah, a lot of variables there. But just know uh, it's on my list. Uh, you know, I think if I was if I was in five leagues, I could definitely invest the time and be a commissioner or co-commissioner and have a whole lot of like if it, for the enjoyment factor. I think it would be there. And I also think it's interesting. You know, just of you'd have the same people in both sides. And you might be talking trade about one kind of angle in one conference and a different kind of angle in another conference. Um, all right. So let's start. We're going to talk about running backs, year-end summary, key questions, some players of the offseason. And I just wanted to throw out a couple of injury data points just to finish off the season here, because we always talk about these depth charts that are in flux. 53% of the depth charts had a starter that was projected for week one or the current starter during the season miss at least three games. And that doesn't count teams double dipping. Like I pretty much just stop it at 17 games. If the starter goes out and they're going to be out for the year, Cam Akers was a perfect example. Boom, 17 games missed. And then I didn't go beyond 17 and start counting Daryl Henderson missed starts. So if you want to count that, I mean, we're we're definitely higher on some of these uh, high intensity scales. And then 81% of the depth charts missed at least one game. So this is just the value. Running back is about volume. It's about being reactive. It's about a week-to-week DFS-style game of who's available. At any point in time, it could be three, six, ten depth charts that have a non-projected starter back in August now being the viable option for your fantasy lineup. So that would be just my starting point. But do you have any overarching thoughts on the year that was at running back? Well, I think you already alluded to it. You needed a lot of them. And uh, the more that you had uh, the injury away type running backs, they're very predictable. You know, they're going to be a starter for at least one game or maybe a span, whatever. And that makes them very valuable. You can look at your roster in the off season and it can be the ugliest running back roster that anybody has ever seen. And it can still pull you through. And in a season like this with the COVID, you know, last minute, you really needed the depth and you needed a, a good finger on the pulse of the waiver wire. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the the young running back that I think is getting the treatment, and what I mean by the treatment is like, let's rewind 11 months. Cam Akers last year was getting the treatment, right? He was in the top eight to 10 of dynasty circles, you know, consensusly. And it was that he is going to be the massive breakout star of this coming season. Now, we'll never know if that was true because he was injured. We saw him actually. I actually, one of the things I wrote down is, should he get the comeback player of the year award for 2021? Because he came back and played. And I don't care if he was ineffective. The fact that his recovery in half a year with an Achilles got to the point of the team with they have their long-term future in mind 
because he's still on his rookie deal, big part of their plans if he's healthy. But man, the fact that he came back to play, Adrian Peterson has got to be like, look at that recovery. Good job, Cam. So we'll see what happens in the playoffs, but game on. I mean, he should. He came back this year, and that's basically unheard of for ACLs, Achilles, all that kind of stuff. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Cam Akers that who knows how the rest of the season goes or the rest of his career. Um, but the first player that I think is kind of getting the Cam Akers treatment is Javante Williams. Now, I will say Javante Williams did more this year than Cam Akers did a year ago to at least warrant that sort of buzz. We've got Melvin Gordon as a free agent. He's going top five, six, seven, KD. And I know running back has a lot of questions. If you get beyond John, some people think if you get beyond Jonathan Taylor, we got questions. But at some point, it's going to dry up. But we know how people draft in startups. Javante Williams, is that just too assumptive, too early, too risky? Or do you think he actually has an argument? You say a lot of this fits together of saying, yeah, he's he's twenty. He's going to be 22 years old. He's projected to have a job, Melvin Gordon, free agent. And he's looked the part. He's looked good. And he probably will do very well. And I get why he's going that high. Can you justify it? Or if someone says, Katie, late first round, I'm gonna dra- I want to draft Javante Williams. Is your answer going to be, uh, I wouldn't do it? I can see why people would want to. I don't think that he's a fake. He's he like you mentioned, he looks the part. He's got the size at 220 pounds. He was an early second round draft pick. And when given the opportunity, he's put up some great fantasy points, both as a receiver and and a runner. He had almost, well, 857 yards in the running game and 298 yards receiving with seven total touchdowns. So I could definitely see people doing that and I wouldn't advise against it. I personally probably wouldn't just because I'm more of a get my wide receivers early in a startup um, and then get my running backs organically through rookie drafts and and futures. It's It's a draft planning type thing. Exactly. Exactly. It's not that you're opposed to him as the player or where he kind of sits within running back. It's just that, you know, the two of us were unlikely to take, say, a first round startup running back. Correct. Considering the format, considering trade down possibilities, considering you play the volume approach. I mean, right. and I don't mean to d- downplay what Jonathan Taylor did this year, but you can win without a, a Jonathan Taylor at the running back position. You can patch together a ton of running backs, and Taylor's awesome. And so I, I get all that. And right. the profile is a sound one. And who knows? In by this time next year, we may be talking about Javante Williams as like, oh, it's Taylor's Javante Williams, it's Najee Harris. It's, you know, there, there's a consensus top three, four young pedigreed and now highly productive, all of them running backs. And he may very well, Williams may very well be in that group. So I totally get it. I don't, I think I'm slightly under, I have him at running back six or seven, but his profile is very good. I mean, because he finished, I think he scraped in or right on that fringe of top 24 in adjusted points per game this year. And that's even if you're in the top 36 or so with his pedigree, that points to year two, year three, typically a breakout season. Now you got to, but, but to be in the top five or six, you, he's got to be what, at least a running back one, if not top six or seven next year to really justify that price point. And if they bring back Melvin Gordon, I kind of think back to, you remember uh, uh, AJ Dillon, right? When uh, yeah, free yeah. agency started, it was like, AJ Dillon, starter, he's been freed. It's all awesome. And then they bring back um, Aaron Jones. 
So if they right. like to run the ball and their DNA is going to be, we need two really good running backs. Who's to say they don't bring back Melvin Gordon or have someone notable. And it's still more of a committee than you want. That's one danger of, of, of drafting partly on situation, right? Katie and in, in January. I mean, we got a lot of pieces to go before you get all the way home. Um, all right. Yes. Let's put two guys together because let's rewind the tape. Sequan Barkley, Christian McCaffrey. The past two years have not really worked out as, as anyone that has them would have liked. And McCaffrey's a little more insulated right now than Sequan Barkley. I've always said being injured, you get penalized less than if you just don't produce as well as people want and play. And that's what Barkley did this year. He had a couple of really good games early in the, off, in the season, got hurt again, came back. Giants are an S show. Barkley didn't show overly well. They didn't use him a ton in the passing game. What are your thoughts on Barkley and McCaffrey who have been just cornerstone names since they got into the NFL? Yeah, there are. It's strange in fantasy football because there will be many owners that still value them quite high. I don't see them slipping like Zeke Elliott did the last couple of seasons. I still think that people will hold out hope for McCaffrey because of everything that he has done. And same thing with Saquon, although Saquon hasn't put up the numbers anywhere near like what Christian McCaffrey has done when he has been healthy. I don't see a whole lot of hope that the giants are going to get better, um, but we'll see. Um, so it, that's another reason that makes it tough to draft a stud running back in the first round of a startup. When the first year of a startup is the least important, you're trying to build your core. That's been the UTH strategy forever trading back, getting extra value. The 23 running back class is phenomenal. So getting those extra 23 firsts in a startup now, this is a perfect year for startup. I love having a startup in a- The year before a good class. class, Right. Yeah, Yeah, this class is a, a bit of a down class, although there is talent. I'm not saying that there isn't, but- It's not optimal. Right. Trading back and being patient and- Saying this year, it's not that I'm not trying to win. It's not that I can't win, but I'm just saying it's not the most important thing. Year right. one, year one in a 22 startup is not the most important thing. If you go in with that with that lens, you certainly can trade down. And like what you said, running backs are a now sort of thing. And with McCaffrey being 26, and I still say, I mean, on a per game basis, I haven't looked at it, but even with how he what he's done over the last two years. You put that together with what he did the year or two before, I bet he's still number one in points per game over that span. He just hasn't played that many games. I think he's played 10 games the past two years, something like that. And Barkley is 25. I still think he has it in him. This was a year with injuries. And he's still one that if he starts slipping, which he is, I think, to running back 10, maybe 12. Existing league, I don't think it's really a question. I think you're probably just going to hold Barkley because he's still... Even, even if he's 85% the player he was when he came into the NFL, there's still a lot there. And he can make you look silly and dead wrong. So we'll see. I mean, hours before that we recorded this, Joe Judge got fired. Uh, Gettleman's gone. Factory reset. I mean, at least there's... If you don't like what currently is going on, at least the promise of change offers something. So let's see about that. But right, Giants, they, they have quarterback questions. A lot of the bets they made at wide receiver don't look great right now. 
Evan Ingram's a free. I mean, wholesale other than Barkley could be changes on the on the uh, on the come. Um, okay, I want to ask about uh, why is there a de- play play devil's advocate here? Why does the dynasty consensus generally hate Josh Jacobs? I have no clue. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, I really don't have a clue. I I, I watch Twitter, uh, but I have I don't some, I have see some guesses. I don't I've, see any good reason. I have some guess, guesses. He hasn't put up the monster season. He's been stuck in like the what running back 10 to 15 sort of range. I think he might have been running back 16 one of one of his seasons. So I think that's part of it. So the monster year, they don't view him as like this dynamic home run threat. He's more of a grinder. So the 50 yard like touch, a James Connor. The fit, yeah, or Najee Harris is probably going to end up being viewed like that in in the in retrospect in the next year or two. Now, obviously, Najee Harris, he just put up a season that's bigger than than Jacobs. Jacobs not being used in the receiving game, if I'm going to continue to play as devil's advocate, as much as people thought coming out of Alabama. I mean, people thought he was going to be be used like McCaffrey, you know, maybe coming out of Alabama. And let's hope he gets goal line. Well, he gets a lot of goal line. And I think people view touchdowns as pretty flimsy. You know, are those sustainable? But you know what? When they get inside the five, he gets the ball a lot. So, um, yeah, he, he, Katie, he's fallen through the floor. He's outside running back 20, which in today's late, that's not even with 23 rookie, 22 rookies in there. It's unbelievable. So, yeah. So the general consensus is we don't like you, Josh Jacobs. Um, how do you approach, approach profiles like Travis Etienne round one red shirt year with the injury. Now James Robinson, who's on the depth chart is also hurt a lot of things up in the air with Jacksonville. But do you pretty much just say status quo with Travis Etienne? Do you bang him down because he didn't play year one? What, what's kind of your view on profiles like him? I don't necessarily bang him down for being injured this year, although I think that in general, other people will. I think he's going to be more of a value uh, this year, especially with the coaching change and just the way that Jacksonville looked awful do you see? Uh, do you see Trevor Lawrence this past week? I didn't. I, know, I almost know. I know nobody really watched Jacksonville Week 18 games, unless you're a Colts fan, and then you just watched it through the fingers covering your eyes. Lawrence looked good. He looked legit good, and that's a legit defense. And I really think that stink of Urban Meyer, that cloud being gone, is going to be a big deal for Trevor Lawrence. That whole offense, and they again, Dario Gubali was the starting running back. I just think there's going to be good things, better vibes. And I think Trevor Lawrence, you want to be hitched to that wagon because minimum, it's going to be better next year. And ETN, you bank on the pedigree. I mean, could he turn into Rashad Penny and we look two, three years from now and he's not healthy? Sure. But I think in general, you need to be positive about ETN because he's an incomplete grade and he got injured early, which means more time to recover, which I think is a net, net positive. Um, Yeah, I mean... He's another one they got drifting, you know, to running back 18, 19, 20 range, which to me, considering he's 23, round one pedigree, that's a pretty nice price, in my opinion. Yeah. And the other thing that I think goes underrated is that he's paired with his college quarterback. And you got that Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase connection, and that really lit up. I don't see any reason why Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, once he's healthy, can't do a similar type thing. They know each other, they trust each other. Uh, and, and so it's just a matter of can whoever steps in at, at coach unleash that. 
Yeah. And I'm really excited about James Robinson from this sense. Like he reminds me of Latavius Murray in a way. When Latavius Murray was the starting running back for the Raiders, I was out. I was out on the price. I didn't really like it. But when he started morphing back into an injury away guy, and I think that's where James Robinson is headed, but he can stick around in that role for three years, five years. And I, I'm waiting. This might be the offseason. I think it might be if ETN is back and the actual starter in Jacksonville. That's probably the actual moment that he turns into a value of like, oh yeah, you can get him for a third and a flip wide receiver. Or like people are going to be willing to give him up because now he needs an injury. But I love the profile. He's still a little pricey for me. Um, so I, I want that to fall a little more to consensus, you know, really late second or a third round rookie valuation. But I think in the next 12 to 18 months, we're headed there with James Robinson, just as a ancillary note here on ETN and the, and the Jags. Yep. I would agree um, with that. What do you think about Rashad Penny? How about that finish to the season? And it's interesting to see how the market is rapidly reacting early in January here in some startups and some trades where it seemed like nobody wanted anything to do with them. And the phrase, you're injury prone until you're not, fully applies here. Absolutely. Uh, I like, I, I always liked him as a, his profile, his size, his everything. And to see him finally be healthy and put things together, he, he looks the part. He looks legit. He's, he's a free agent. So that's a major variable. And Seattle, with Chris Carson, with his neck, we'll see. I mean, do they... What the moves they make in the offseason are probably going to be indicative on how confident they are in Chris Carson's health and he's under contract. But Penny, bowling ball, long speed, he showed a lot of the things we thought about him as a prospect, and that made him a round one rookie pick years and years ago. But dare I say, I mean, he's probably venturing back into the early second round rookie pick range. And in this class, I don't think that's out of line because you're not getting any, probably not even day two pedigree at running back with that pick, just because there's not a lot of distractions to get a running back to fade that far from, you know, quarterbacks, let's say, or there's no tight end like Kyle Pitts. that's going to go up that high probably. So Rashad Penny, he's not a spring chicken. I think he's 26 this off season. So, but but free agent round one pedigree and look at Sony Michelle, right? I mean, Sony Michelle, look at what he provided this year as a round one guy on the retread spectrum, got moved around, changed teams, but still provided you quality starts and he's a quality talent hanging around. So I think Penny is still on that, on that spectrum. Um, what do you think about Deonta Foreman? Same sort of thing, maybe not to as high of a degree. Is he buying more time in the NFL? He's a free agent as well. Is he one that right now on your roster, you're glad you have him? Or are you going to try to maybe move up in a rookie draft just to shed him? What do you kind of think is moving forward with Deonta Foreman? I don't think that he gets the same type of respect. So I don't see his value skyrocketing like Penny or even ETN or anybody else like that. Um, He's the kind of guy I would rather have on my roster unless I could get a second, uh, like a 23 second or something like that. I don't know that that's possible. Okay. Um, one of the bigger names, just in terms of feels like a career crossroads going into free agency. And heck, maybe we so- see something out of him here in the postseason. But Mr. Ronald Jones, talk about a long ride since USC. And he really hasn't had, he's had moments. 
He's had games, cross sections of a season, but now he's in free agency. He's one of the younger free agents you can have. He was barely 21 for his rookie season. Do you think he has appeal in the marketplace? Do you think he gets a number one role? Do you think it's a tepid market and he falls behind maybe guys like James Conner and others, even though he's younger and has more pedigree? I've never been a big believer in him and I'm still not. Um, and I don't know. I don't think, I don't think the dynasty market is even all that interested in him to be honest. So I don't know like what you'd be able to get if, if, if he were to land in a juicy situation where it looked like he might get a chance to start, that would be the right time to sell. Okay. But it sounds like you would even have pause that at that point, he'd be worth a first. Like you, it sounds like you have pause that the lanes in a good spot. You can cash out in March, April before the draft, before there's variables of something occurring there of, of a good backup that could challenge him possibly. It sounds like you might be skeptical that even getting a first then would be difficult. I would be skeptical, but if he, if the hype train goes, you know how it goes. Um, like Clyde Edwards Alaire, when he came out of college, I didn't think that he was going to be a first round pick. And his hype went over Jonathan Taylor. And to a lot of the detriment of owners, he went over DeAndre Swift and Cam Akers. I mean, there's so many guys that we like a lot better. And if, Rojo ends up in a juicy landing spot. He could rise in value on the hype market. Yeah. Like maybe Atlanta, 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 know, Atlanta. I was looking at, yeah, I was looking at my chart, Atlanta, Arizona has both of their notable running backs as free agents. So I think whoever goes to Arizona, that would be considered appealing, especially if it's not a Connor and Edmonds committee as it was for a good chunk of this year. Uh, the Texans, they brought back Rex Burkhead on a low-level deal, but their starting job is pretty open, uh, and everyone else is, is basically a free agent. Uh, Miami Dolphins have everybody, and you can't feel confident in Miles Gaskin anymore with how he got passed by everyone this year. So Miami is another one that's pretty pretty far open. And Tampa Bay, obviously Ronald Jones isn't going to go back there, you would think, but uh, that one is open depending on what they do with Fournette. Keyshawn Vaughn is pretty much the only incumbent there. Um, last one I had on my list, is Cordero Patterson. Um, you know, running back utility might be a wide receiver. I know an MFL or depending on the platform, I wanted to put him at running back because guess what? He played a lot of running back. Um, right. Is he an odd, based on being a free agent, having the perfect storm, kind of fizzling out at the end of the year, being on the older side, is, is he, an, if you can get a second round pick early in the off season and say, wipe your hands, no variables, is that the prudent thing to do? Or do you say, this could be a, a secondary career for him? Guys like that where it's hard to tell, and especially in a class like this where the first round of the rookie draft should have some decent impact, but when you start getting into the second round, it's going to be pretty dicey. I'd rather keep Cordero Patterson unless it could be like a 23 second. And I don't know how many owners are, are doing that or would do that. Definitely worth shopping. Definitely worth trying and seeing what, what else you can get. Maybe even adding a later pick with him to get a first. I don't know. Or just moving up. You know, he might be the type of guy where 
you, you can start inching your way up. I always talk about that where you never know where the tier lines are. Or you never know how high you need to be to get what you want. And, and I would remind folks that if you can get flexible, like let's say you can move up from the later second to the earlier second with Cordero Patterson. Well, that earlier second might be the thing that, that gets you through when you get to the rookie draft, you get on the clock or close to it. People have a better idea on the players. And that all of a sudden, that 203 pick might be the thing that that plus something else gets you Mike Evans or Tyler Lockett or, you know, you, you have more options there, you know, when you get deeper with the rookie pick than specific players. All right, Katie. So finishing up here at the running back position, what didn't we cover in terms of the interesting players? You want to give folks a tidbit possibly for the 2022 class coming up. We still have the declaration deadline uh, for the draft class as well uh, in front of us. So, or college football season complete um, as well in the rear view with Georgia taking down the title. Yeah, no, I was very excited for Georgia. My buddy that has been a Georgia fan for many, many years, uh, so ecstatic. And it was a great game. I loved it. There's, there's some talented running backs coming out in this year's class. And, you know, hopefully they're coming out. You and I have, I'm going to tease a series that we're going to start right after the Senior Bowl in February. It's called the UTH Flashback Series. And we're going to start with the 2013 class and just talk about player values who ended up, you know, in increasing their ADP after the rookie season, who ended up being a complete bust, who did we like at the time, you know, who did we not like at the time, those kind of things. So, uh, every single draft class from 2013 up to the 2022, we're going to do a 2022 mock draft to end the whole thing, which will be about two weeks before the NFL draft. At that point, we will have had the combine. We will know exactly who is declared and, and uh, just really be able to help you with your rookie pick value. So I don't want to get too much into the particular names at this point, but just know that we've got some real exciting stuff in the hopper for this offseason, but before the NFL draft and after the senior bowl. Yeah. And to shout out two guys uh, that were in that championship game that it took them a while to start seeing more opportunities. One was for Georgia's side, James Cook. You know, he made uh, a couple of big plays in that game. He's a senior, is going to be at the senior bowl, and it's taken him a while um, as a strong recruit in that pipeline to get going and start getting more work. And the other one is Brian Robinson. I've shouted out to him a few times over the years, but he's been in college for quite some time in Alabama. And sometimes at Alabama, you got to wait all the way to your last year before you end up as the clear starter, seeing significant work on a regular basis. And Brian Robinson, one of those stories for Alabama. So you saw both of them going all the way to their last college game where now they're kind of finishing on a high note and finishing to a point where you say officially interesting and one that, you know, if we, if you were projecting ahead to the NFL draft two, three years ago, you would not have known if either of these guys would have really been a, a major talking point as part of their positional draft class. Uh, for Katie Flower at FF underscore Skylar 399, if you have questions, you got startup drafts, hit her up in the off season. Uh, great resource there. If you're interested in premium podcasts, you've been listening to this free show for a while. I record 250 plus shows. We're going to do some mock drafts, a ton of content, whether it's rookie drafts, startup drafts, 
trading this offseason. Have your best year yet in your existing dynasty leagues. Maybe join another one or two. Uh, get Scratch that startup itch, and you can become a premium listener and subscriber over at uthdynasty.com. So for Katie, myself, Chad Parsons, until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties. Want the carry for everything. Oh, so boost John New Smith. Got it.